Hey guys, it's me, P. And me, S. And you're listening to the Girl on Girl podcast. But it's not what you think. But also, it's kind of what you think. Okay, here's the deal. My name is Persis. I'm queer, Indian, femme, and a little over five feet tall. And my name is Sarah. I'm straight, white, cis, and a proud ginger. Every episode, we're going to talk about sexuality from a queer perspective, from a straight perspective, and what it means to find the fluidity between the two. We're going to talk about taboos, labels, dating, awkward moments, pop culture icons. We're also going to talk safe sex, self-discovery, discrimination, and what it means to be a queer minority. Tinky Winky, Dipsy, what's the name? Dipsy? I, I never watched Teletubbies. Dipsy? <laughs> I never watched it. Is it Dipsy? <laughs> Is that true? No, I think it's Dipsy. Oh, Dipsy. That's kind of fun. Tinky la, Winky, la. Dipsy, Lala, and Poe. <laughs> isn't, isn't Poe like the really cute one? Poe's the one everyone liked. Um, yeah. Poe was red. Oh, I wonder why everyone liked Poe. Redhead? I think because Poe was just the little one. Everyone loves the little one. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Honestly, it's tough being tall out here. My tall girls, tall girls, where are you at? You're not that tall. Yeah, I know. I'm not that tall. You're like average, 5'6". Yes. Yeah. I'm like 5'7". Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, a whole foot taller we, than you. I don't think we've ever talked about how tall you were. I think that's why it's funny. It is kind of funny for no... Okay, guys, do you ever have this with a friend where like something shouldn't be funny, but you both understand that it's funny and you can't even like describe why it's, why it's funny? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I have that with you all the time. Like, it is kind of funny that we've never talked about my height. <laughs> At, like, the entire time, because we're always like, Persis is 4'11", 4'11", 4'11", 5 feet, 5 foot 1, um, always, my whole <laughs> life. And then I'm like, Sarah, how old are you? I mean, how tall are you? <laughs> yeah. Well, now you know. 5'7". Yeah, that's a good height. She's got some legs on her. Yeah, long Bam. legs. Yeah, long legs, short torso. I always, when I was growing up, one of my like weird body insecurities that I had was that I wanted a longer torso. And I always thought girls who had like long torsos had like such a great like shape, had such a great physique and that clothes looked so much better on them. But I thought clothes looked really bad on me because of my short torso. Isn't that weird? Yeah. I don't know. It was like a big insecurity of mine. I wanted my torso to be longer. <laughs> That's so interesting. If anyone else had that growing up, let me know if I wasn't the only one. I never used to think about that with like proportion wise, like my torso to my legs. I just felt like it was too short and everything looked a little stumpy and I wanted it to look like long and lean. Right, right. But now I love my torso. Yeah, you should. I love it too. Yeah, I know you do. Um, how are you doing i don't know why we're so giggly when this topic is not like it's not a giggly moment in particular but you know what okay listen right off the top guys we're talking about mental health today and this has been a request from many 
many of our listeners. But the interesting thing about this topic is we haven't like sat down and talked specifically about mental health in the queer community, but I think in every single episode we've done so far, we've talked about mental health in some capacity. And that's how you know that like mental health touches every single aspect of the queer experience. And like everyone we've talked to have discussed their mental health. You've talked about it a bunch. I mean, I've talked about it. We've, you know what I mean? Like it's in every episode. It's like woven into everything that we've talked about. But this is the first time we're sitting down to like really talk about it. And okay, here's my thought. This episode's going to get a bit bleak. Like it's going to be tough. Mm-hmm. Because this is a tough topic and we've got some tough things to talk about. We have some tough statistics we have to give you guys. We don't have to, <laughs> but I yeah, feel but like we want to. Well, and we want to because it's good. Well, it's important. Well, statistics also sometimes just make you realize how real it is. Like you need that reality check. That's for sure. Maybe that's another thing because we know this is really, really deep stuff. And sometimes I feel like mine and Sarah's defense mechanism is we get nervous and we just start and we laughing giggle. and we giggle. That is totally our defense mechanism. And I feel like it's I feel like it's a nice one because you know, you can't take life too seriously and you do sometimes have to laugh at the tough shit. Sometimes you just have to because it acknowledges how t- just how tough it is. And I don't know, have you ever like felt like laughing at a funeral? Like sometimes it's just like witnessing the crazy of life and how tough it is it's just like all you can do is laugh but once again that is our defense mechanism i've never felt that oh you've never wanted to laugh at a <laughs> okay did i just expose myself listen i'm not saying i go to funerals on the regular and laugh i'm saying like that's that's a sensation a lot of people have had right guys guys i'm gonna google that later <laughs> and I think it's like a thing because just being face to face with with something like death or something like mental health, like depression, anxiety, it can just be like so um, humbling almost mm-hmm. that you just like have to laugh. And I also think that when when obviously you have like your your really really low moments, and yeah, sometimes when you look back at it later, you <laughs> sorry your face right now. Is- <laughs> Person. Sorry. What was my face? The listeners can't see my face. I wasn't even looking at my face. You just looked very like pensive. <laughs> I like that word. Um, but it reminds us, I was gonna say that we're human. So I think even when I'm really upset and really like, yeah, like going through the t- like darkest, darkest times, for sure, I think to your point, <laughs> it's good to laugh and just be like, we're gonna be okay. Yeah, I promise you I'm not laughing at what you just said. I was just thinking of the pensive thing and laughing at laughing at that. No, totally, totally. And listen, this episode is here to if you're listening right now, this episode is here to tell you shit is hard. And if you're queer, it can be even harder. But we're here to laugh with you if you ever want to laugh, and we're here to bring a little bit of joy into your day if you want a little bit of joy. But yeah, I guess just precursor or trigger warning, we're going to be in, talking about some heavy stuff. But it's important, and you guys have wanted it for a while, and so we're going to dive into it. I guess, first of all, let's start off this convo and do a little exercise that person I like to do every now and then and talk about the peak and the pit of our day. 
Yes. I love doing that. And I think that's also like a good reminder for when you are going through a really tough time. I always like to say, okay, what was the lowest part of your day? What are you feeling? But then what was the good part? There, there yeah. was hopefully a good part and whatever it was, even if it was simple, that's what it is. Yeah. And if you're forced, you might sit there and be like, there wasn't a good part to my day. But if you're forced to pick one, you will always, always, always find a peak to your day. Yes. So Persis, what was your peak in your pit? Okay. So I can start with the pit because we always like to leave things on a good note. My pit was that my day at work was so, so busy, like nonstop that I couldn't get to the one thing I really needed to do today. And it stressed me out and I was just getting frustrated. I don't know. It's time management for sure is one thing, but it's hard when you have so many other things coming your way. And I also, full disclosure, guys, I did just start this job. So I think like maybe someone could say like, oh, purses, you know, you can just say no or just, you know, but when requests are coming from a client directly to you, it's hard to not. So anyway, that was kind of stressing me out. So that was my pit. But my peak was that I went for a really, really nice walk after work and picked up some really yummy food to make for dinner. And then I did a workout and then I, yeah. And I just, it felt good to like move, like move my body. And then, yeah, just like relaxed and like sat at the table and like ate a really nice dinner. And I felt good about that. What did you have? I made tilapia and then I um, had zucchini noodles with pesto. pesto. Oh my God. She's the picture of health. It was so good. That sounds amazing. Can you make me dinner sometime? Yeah. When I come back to your neck of the woods? Mm -hmm. Of course I will. I'll surprise you. You've made me dinner before. Yeah, many times. Um, and I've never really, never really had it reciprocated, but like, that's fine. I don't have the best track record when making, when I'm making dinner for people. When you're making out? (laughs) No, when I'm making dinner. Ow. (laughs) Sorry. Here. Okay. I I love that peak and pit. My peak and pit. So my pit was that I received some text messages from someone who I didn't really want to hear from today. And it put me in a really bummed out mood and made me feel sad and frustrated. And it was one of those things that like you can't help it if someone's going to reach out to you. And so you kind of just have to like, you know, you kind of just have to deal with it. And it made me really sad. I didn't like it. But the peak of my day, can my the peak of my day be something that hasn't happened yet? <laughs> yeah. Because I'm about to go to a yoga class and I love, I've been doing yoga every day since I've done my move across the country, as you guys know, and I've just been loving it. Like it is the highlight of my day. Most days I'm moving my body. I'm away from my phone. I'm away from my computer. It's just like me and like my moment and my mat and like no one else can bother me. And I'm just like breathing, like actually breathing in and out fully probably for the first time all day. It's just great. So I know that's going to be the peak of my day. Oh, and also I had really, really good Indian food for lunch. I, I, treat, I treated myself, yeah. I got palak kofta, mm. so the spinach curry with kofta, and obviously naan, and then brown rice. It was delicious. Oh, my God, yum. Oh. Anyway, so I like this exercise because we basically just acknowledge like the things mentally we were struggling with today. Yours was stress and anxiety. Mine was sadness, depression, and anxiety. And I think like 
we're in kind of a generation and a world where these types of feelings come at us every single day. Mm-hmm. And it's important to just like acknowledge them and also acknowledge the good things at the same time. But when it comes to queerness, when it comes to the LGBTQIA plus community, man, it goes a lot deeper than that. It goes a lot deeper than just like, here's a sadness I had today and here's a good, a good happiness I had today. It's like very deep rooted in a lot of like issues that are outside of the person and inside the person. So that's kind of what we're going to dive into today. And we wanted to start with a mailbag. Mm-hmm. This mailbag is from an amazing listener. We're going to give her a code name and the code name is Dion. I've decided it's Dion. Dion has, yeah, she's been listening for a long time and she reached out a while back and said, you know, I kind of want to share my story of the mental health struggles that I've gone through and um, how that relates to like my queerness and me discovering my sexuality. So Dion sent her story over and we're going to kind of give like a condensed version of the story, but we really want to share it because we think it's important to tell real stories on here about real people all over the world. Dion lives in Europe and her story is, it involves a lot of different moving pieces, but overall Mm -hmm. I think it's a story that a lot of people can relate to, a lot of queer women especially can relate to. We're going to read a few sections from her story, and the first one goes like this. Okay, here we go. So my mental health struggles are for a great part rooted in the fact that I was hiding my sexuality for so long, not only from the people around me, but I was trying so hard to actively deny it for myself. Honestly, coming out to myself and being truly happy with who I am was and has been the hardest part in my coming out process. Man, I feel like so many people can relate to that. Oh, for sure. Dion says, you know, as a kid, until the age of 10, I think, I was bubbly and always very happy. But as I started to be more conscious about myself and my sexuality, as most teenagers become, that was the beginning of a very hard struggle for me concerning my identity and my sexuality. And then she goes on to say, this is where the struggle with my mental health began. In my teenage years, I began to experience attraction towards girls and have feelings for them, but every one of my friends was talking about boys, and I couldn't really relate to what they were experiencing. For a while, I was pretending to also be into them, but it wasn't genuine for me. So with everything I was experiencing, it became very heavy for me to carry it all by myself. I felt I couldn't talk with anyone about it, so my response to it was completely shutting down these feelings. I had, and that was a unique and beautiful part of myself, and which made me. So because Dion was hiding this huge part of herself, it really resulted in all this anxiety in her body, social anxiety, depression, and um, ultimately it kind of reached a breaking point. And she said, I began to have suicidal thoughts, and the hardest part for me was feeling guilty. Nobody in my family or my friend group knew what I was going through, not even my twin sister, with whom I have a very close bond. But I was even struggling to tell her how I was feeling. In early 2020, right at the start of the pandemic, I was at an all-time low, and my physical health became very worrisome. My parents realized it too. My anxiety attacks became more intense and regular, my appetite was lost, and I was diagnosed with tinnitus and chronic hyperventilation. These were all indicators of my body telling me it had had enough and the amount of stress it had gone through um, had resulted in me needing help. And 2020 was a hard year. So Dion, it was basically a breaking point for her. She realized that her body was basically telling her like, 
enough is enough. I need I need help and I need to like accept this part of me and stop hiding it. We cannot feel these things mentally, but our body actually knows what's going what we're going through. And I feel like that's very common and we should listen to our bodies too. You know? Yeah, and and Dion really did listen to her body and I mean for her it resulted in actual chronic conditions mm-hmm. um which happens to so many people. It's so common. And I just, honestly, it's a blessing in disguise, right? It, that's hard to, it's like a hard pill to swallow. But if our body's like hurting and it's telling us that it's time for help, then that's what we need. And the more we do what we need, the better off we'll be. So it, it really is like a blessing in disguise. Yeah, it pays off in the long run. But to get into where Dion is now, um, Dion says, I'm very proud to be a queer representing woman. Um, And to mention really quick, I'm still going through so much self-discovery. So as of right now, that's the label I'd like to give myself. Hiding myself and my sexuality put me through a difficult time. But I just want to say it is worth to believe in what is coming for you. And it's worth it to yourself to be happy. So she does go on to say that she knows that she'll probably, you know, continue to struggle with her mental health in the future. But she's learning how to deal with it. And she's realized that explaining it to her family and her friends um, is actually really helpful. And that goes into the don't repress it, you know, like the more you do actually openly talk about struggles you're going through with people you trust, you'll start to feel this like weight lifted off your shoulders. And you know what? She has a point, right? Like I feel with mental health, it doesn't just go away. Like it's not like poof, it's gone. I dealt with it and now it's done. I think you're going to be, you're going to be dealing with it. I was going to say, say struggling, but I don't think that's always the case, but I feel like you'll be dealing with your mental health for probably your whole life, but then you can learn about what, what actually helps you. And that comes back to peak and pit. Like when we sit down and we're like, okay, peak and pit, when we're talking about the pit, we're sharing with each other, like a very like solo struggle that we had that day and it can be that simple or it can be more intense like Dion having to to basically come out to her family and at least explain where this anxiety and all these health issues were coming from but sharing it with people just people who you trust and who make you feel safe is just like such a great way to move forward it's not going to solve the issue like you said it's not like poof I love the word poof me too and sometimes we all wish it was like poof goodbye, but that's just not the reality. Definitely not. And especially not for queer people. So we kind of wanted to dive into some stats. And I know stats can sound boring, but like Persa said at the top, stats are, I find stats so important because it just magnetizes the situation. You might have an idea of what's going on, but once you see a number and a percentage, it's like, okay, this is really going on and it's maybe more than I thought. And it's a great way to know that you're not alone. So we pulled some stats and all of these are from the Canadian Mental Health Association. So these are Canadian specific stats. If you don't live in Canada, I'm sure that these stats are quite similar in your, wherever you are, like whatever country, your town you're living in, but you should look up what's happening in your country or in your city and see like what kind of, what kind of, issues the queer people in your in your community are struggling with but as a whole and maybe this is 
I mean, this is well known, especially for queer people, but LGBTQIA plus people have higher rates of depression, higher rates of anxiety, obsessive compulsive and phobic disorders, suicidality, self-harm, and substance abuse. It does say too that- um, Not a cute list. No, no. This is really, really, this is really heavy. LGBTQ people are at double the risk for post-traumatic stress disorder than heterosexual people. Yeah. And LGBTQ youth face approximately 14 times the risk of suicide and substance abuse than heterosexual peers. 14 times the risk? Yeah, girl, 14 times. So if you're a queer youth listening to this right now and you're like, I feel like I'm the only one. No, you're 14 times more likely just because you're queer. And I was, when we were looking at these stats, I was trying to think like, okay, but why? Like, why, why is this the case? And we came up with some ideas about why. And listen, I guess we should probably say we are not experts. Like, we are not, we're experts in the way that Persis is queer. (laughs) Yeah. But from like own experiences, but not as a whole. We can't speak for other like, LGBTQ people in general. Well, yeah, but we're also not, we're not doctors, we're not um, specialists, and we are not researchers, but I don't know, just like being two people in the world. Mm -hmm. This is kind of, these are kind of like the areas where we think that all of these mental health issues might be stemming from. The first one is harassment and assault. Sexual and physical assault is, is extremely, the risk of it is extremely higher for queer people harassment, of course, and hate crimes. And between 2007 and 2008, hate crimes motivated by sexual orientation more than doubled in Canada. And they were the most violent of all of hate crimes. I know that seems like a long time ago, but... That wasn't that long ago. Yeah, only about 10 years ago. And, you know, it's not really that surprising a statistic based on the violent crimes we've seen against queer people in history. And... A study they did in Ontario found that trans people, 20% of them had experienced physical or sexual assault due to their identity, and 34% were subject to verbal threats or harassment. 20%? First. Yeah, that's insane. 20% of trans people in Ontario had been assaulted. That's way too high. Like 20%. Like picture a pie. You know, in math class, when they do, like, they teach you about percentages and fractions and they use a pie. Yeah. 20% of the pie. That's a big piece of pie. Yeah, it is. It is. That's awful. And in Ontario. In Ontario. And trans people in both Canada and the U.S. report high levels of violence, harassment, and discrimination when seeking stable housing, employment, health, or social services. And that kind of brings us to this next bucket of economic issues. All of these things are happening on the outs. They're like economic or social issues that are coming into a person's life. It's not something they've created or they've decided. It's like the world is putting this on them and then it results in mental health. Yeah. Yeah. It's not on them. Like even to go seeking out housing or even what this stat was saying. Um, So it says bisexual and trans people are overrepresented among low-income Canadians and that an Ontario-based study found that half of trans people were living on less than $15,000 a year. Half of trans people. 
And that's because when a trans person is going to seek employment, they're getting harassed. Yeah. Or as discriminated against. And it's not just trans people, it's queer people in general. I can't believe that. Like, how does that, how do you feel that relates to mental health? I mean, I could only imagine that, like, you, you're not feeling like you're welcomed by society at all. What we were even saying just earlier, like, you're already dealing with your own, your own mental internal struggles and discovery. And, but the biggest thing is you're not being like accepted. And if you can't even go and find a house or you can't even like find a job because you're getting harassed, how would, how do you like go through life? Yeah. That would be so, so terrible for your every day. I can't even imagine. And even just having a low, not having enough money that yeah. like for, for anyone, no matter their sexual orientation, that's going to bring on a world of mental health issues. You don't have money to, t- to take care of your like physical needs. So that's going to bring a world of depression, anxiety. I mean, in this, in this case too, cause you're just being who you are and now you yeah. have to deal with the society that just sucks. Yeah, and I think when people don't have enough money, another struggle that comes into play is health. And when we talk about mental health, I mean, I feel like this is this is like a very common like phrase in today's day, but like mental health is health. Mental health is physical health and and healthcare. And so when we're not healthy physically, we're not going to be healthy mentally. Mm-hmm. And um we found that some research actually shows that queer people um, use alcohol, tobacco, or other substances up to four times more than heterosexual people. So they're four times more likely to to abuse, not even abuse, but just use alcohol, drugs, they smoke. And more than 50% of LGBT people experience some form of healthcare discrimination. Oh my God. What? Which like... More than 50%? Yeah, which like... If you can't go to the doctor because you're afraid you're going to get discriminated against, then you do you are not living under the basic human rights of everyone else around you. And that's just not okay. No. And that's why this kind of goes back into another podcast episode we did where we talked about how there needs to be actual like more representation with doctors, physicians, LGBTQ plus representation. I think that's already a given, you know? I think like there's many a times I would even feel probably more comfortable going to a doctor if I knew they were in the community. Yeah. Yeah. That was our, we did an episode called Queer at Work. And one of the listeners who sent a mailbag in for the episode was studying to work in healthcare. But as a bi woman, she was really worried that she wouldn't be able to expand her career because if people found out she was queer, um, I don't know, she might not get promoted. She might not get employed. And that's and that's a worry that she has today. Like this is very real now, but I can I would imagine if I was queer, I like I can't even explain how much more safe I would feel going to a queer doctor, like any specialist, even like dentist, like anyone taking care of my body. Because I think queer people have such like a um, like complicated relationship with their bodies a lot of the time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, like, either they don't feel right, either they don't feel like their body is theirs, or they feel like their body is, like, someone else's to be objectified. And 
like you have to you have to protect your body and like take care of it and it you don't want to let anyone in too easily even if it's a doctor or specialist and, and it's very vulnerable I, to go to a doctor right so it's like yeah i actually found a stat that says 75% of lesbians um, will delay or avoid healthcare just because they're uncomfortable going to a doctor especially um, a male doctor and of the 75% most of them what they're avoiding is getting a pap yep oh yeah i i could see that for sure actually like, why do you think that is? Well, I'm thinking if it was, if your pap is done by a male doctor, maybe they also won't like, and like, I don't know, you just don't feel like you have that understanding. But maybe for lesbians too, like, I don't know. I know I would always get uncomfortable with the question too of like people asking like, if you're like sexually active. Sexually active. active. And then mm-hmm. you'd be like, yes. But then they just like assume you, you're having sex with a man. Yeah. Or you know what I mean? It's like very interesting. That could also tie into it a little bit too. Oh, for sure. Like it's not just about paps. It's like, it's also just like 75% of lesbians say that they just like will at least delay healthcare if they, if they, if they don't have to have to go because it's a place for discrimination to, to like it's in the system too like it's not just we're not saying like all doctors are homophobic or something it's like in the system it's in the way things are done and what you just said is a perfect example asking if a doctor asks someone if they're sexually active they're automatically assuming their question is assumed in a heterosexual way Mm -hmm. and so and the way they provide healthcare is going to be in that like hetero context yeah so like for example they might ask you well are you using condoms Yes. Yes. And you'll be like, and you'll no. be like, no, <laughs> totally. Um, and that's where it also goes into like, this is a whole other episode that we talked about, but it was like safe lesbian sex. And I feel like a lot of times yeah. because safe lesbian sex isn't spoken out about, like no one's out there talking about dental dams or gloves. Right. Totally. I don't think a doc, like I, I think doctors should be talking about that. I've personally never had an experience with a doctor telling me like to be safe, like with dental dams or love I've had my cousin who's a doctor tell me that but he's also my cousin and knows me like we have a relationship just talking you know right (laughs) and we got to get him on the pod he's very passionate about like reproductive health no matter your sexual orientation as well but or sexual health but also from a straight perspective I have never had a doctor if a doctor has asked me like let's say are you sexually active or whatever I've never had a doctor follow up that question with being like, okay, are you sexually active with women, men, or both, or neither? Like, I've never had a doctor ask a follow-up. You know what I mean? And, like, not to get too in the weeds, but I just think, like, healthcare is a scary place for queer people. And the way it relates to mental health is, like, we said, if your physical body isn't, if you don't feel, like, strong and healthy and powerful and in control of your own health, it's just like automatically going to seep into your mental health. I love how you were able to tie all of those in together because I feel like mental health in general can just feel like this really big space with so many different categories. But exactly like you said, it all kind of fits into one. Like if you're not happy physically, you're not going to be happy mentally. And if queer people are, these stats 
for, for one, are insane. And mm-hmm. if they're not even feeling like comfortable to seek out healthcare, how are they going to feel mentally? They're not making enough money. How are they going to take care of themselves? If they're being harassed in their daily life, if they've been a victim of abuse in some way, physical or sexual or emotional, like all of these things are, the stats are staggering and so many queer people experience them. And yeah, I just think it's important to note that all of these things, like I said, like a bunch of times already, but just to like underline it, they're all coming from society. They're all coming from the systems around us. And that's a lot of pressure, you know? That's so much pressure coming from the outside world. And you're like, I'm just trying to be, I'm just trying to be me. Yeah. Why does the world, and why does the world have to like, from every angle, be putting all these pressures on me? You know what I mean? I know. And because we grow up in such a heteronormative society already, It makes me sad that anyone who's coming to terms with their sexuality almost has to have a coming out story or they have to like go through a struggle or they have to Mm -hmm. face harassment, discrimination, losing friends, losing family, because from society's eyes, this isn't viewed as normal. But why can't it just be like, we all, we're all humans who can like have the capacity to love freely and love as many people as we want and love any gender and if like that was just what society was I think there would be of course I think we'd still have like people would still be struggling with mental health because everyone has their own things going on in their life but I don't think it would be like this this prominent you know what I mean at least for like queer mental health because I think a lot of it as well has to do with like the um the society factor as much as we're like even for me like my own personal story a lot of it was actually like internal stuff I was dealing with but society had a part to play in it so sometimes I'm like okay if that was taken out maybe I would have come to terms with myself so much easier and that's really important like I'm really happy you said that and we're gonna dive into like your mental health experience as you were discovering your sexuality and like through the years because as much as it's important to to say like that's socioeconomic, that's systemic, whatever, like all the all the things that are coming at you. It's also important like that we don't victimize queer people. Like queer people are powerful, capable, and like completely able to to overcome. There's so many ways to overcome these pressures and to find like inner peace and inner joy. But a lot of times that inner joy and peace just isn't there either. And so it can come from. I don't want to. I don't want to um, imply that like mental health can't be something that starts internally because I think that's where it always kind of begins from a lot of the stories we've heard. I know from your story and from like people we've interviewed and all our queer friends, it does seem like there's like, it's like a internal struggle first. From all of our guests, I think it all started with internal. Most, most people. Yeah. Or there's always like an internal aspect. But do you think it starts with internal because of society? Yeah, I was just thinking that. It's like um it's like an endless circle. Because Sarah, I always yeah, think about Paris. like if if I being 15 years old and when I started to have feelings for Alice, but I was in denial of those feelings for years and years, I was doing that because I think it was a society pressure 
I was like, I don't look gay. I'm not, this, this wouldn't be right. Like we're never going to be together, all this stuff. Right. And if the world wasn't like that and everyone in my high school, my Catholic high school was loving Mm -hmm. freely, there was no judgment. People weren't verbally harassing gay people. There wasn't a definition of what being gay looked like. Maybe I would have been like, I know I like her and maybe we would have dated. Do you know what I mean? I just. No, I think you're right. Yeah. This is a crisis. Like the mental health crisis is just that. It's a crisis. And so we're like, we don't have all the answers, but I think like, I think that they all live together, like the internal and the external bits. And mm-hmm. that that was definitely your experience, I think. I, I just wonder, you know, even when I hear some of my friends who say, oh, if I came out as queer, my dad would like not talk to me anymore. My dad would yeah. be super uncomfortable. My mom would not talk to me. I just wonder, well, are they feeling that way because of society too? Like if we just didn't have that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. yeah, no, I definitely as well, like had really went through like, the toughest times in my 18, like that was a really, really bad time. 18 to 19 yeah, was like some of the worst years of of my dealing with my mental health. Similar to like Dion's story for sure. um, I think it was like not liking myself for one was what I felt, which is I think like the scariest. That's scary, yeah. Yeah, and um, I would tell... Uh, sometimes how I'd feel was like, I wasn't present, you know? And I, and I still struggle with that sometimes too. I feel like when I'm really, really upset with something, I almost find it really difficult to be like present in a moment, even if Mm -hmm. I'm surrounded by friends or I'm surrounded by family. Like it's almost like I can just be very numb and then it comes out later and I'll feel really upset about it. But during that time, I think because I didn't even know what was going on, at least now I can like recognize certain things. Like now I can be like, okay, I kind of know why like I'm upset and then I'll yeah. acknowledge it. And Sarah and I have actually talked about that before where like I sometimes get embarrassed where I don't want to admit something, but now I'm like, no, first let's just do it because. Yeah, but exactly. that's a process though. It's a process. It's not easy. And I'm, st- I'm still working on that and I'm 26. So that has mm-hmm. taken time. Mm-hmm. But when I was 18, I can recognize now that a lot of my um, sadness came from the fact that I liked Alice so much and I couldn't come to terms with the fact that like I wanted to like be with her but it wasn't even just I think it was her as a whole I didn't know if I would like anyone else but her like I know and looking back sometimes it's like of course like girl you're so young you're gonna meet so many other people but that's really what I thought because I wasn't Mm. liking anyone else but her yeah yeah but it's also because I used to identify as someone who was like by but only liked Alice until my world opened up. So that's so interesting. I know. I it know. It definitely the, says a lot about like who you are as a like you're such a romantic. I am, but it was getting to the point where I was su- such good friends with her, right? Like she was my best friend, but I would like leave her house and like go home and cry. And do you feel like you were crying because you were do you feel like you were crying because you were like, oh, I just want to keep hanging with her? Or because you were internally like, I just, there's something, there's a feeling that is like so overwhelming here. The second one, the second yeah. one. 
Um, of course, I loved hanging out with her. I was like <laughs> so happy to, but it was different when around that 18, 19 period, because when we were in high school, everything felt very light and very fun. And, you know, we were, it, it just didn't feel like so serious, right? Yeah. I was in denial of how serious it was. And then I was, I moved away. I was in college, but I almost found myself almost treating her like she was my girlfriend. Like it was almost, we also had a very mm-hmm. like close friendship where even some of my college friends were like, whoa, like you guys talk a lot or you guys like we'd call each other like every night, talk for hours, like on a, like a weeknight. Like oh, man. That's daily. It, it felt like yeah. a relationship, right? But to her, totally, she was obviously totally. like my best friend. But I remember I would like go to her house and I would come home and I would just cry. And it was because I was like, I will never be together but I want to be with her so badly. So you knew at that point, like at that point you were like, I know I want to be with her. Yeah. Okay. And you figured you never could because I feel like we've told the story a few times on the pod, but like, it's just so interesting. Like, was it because you were like, did it just, you didn't see that relationship anywhere in your world? So you were like, it's not possible for us to be together? Or was it like, she would never like me or I could never come out to everyone? Or was no, it a bit of everything? It, it was more that she also, she had a boyfriend. And oh, right. I, was, I forgot about that. <laughs> she had a boyfriend. I wonder how her boyfriend felt about her calling you every night for hours. I, he just knew we were best friends and I was close with him too. So I think that he was like, that's fine. They're, they're, they're super tight, you know, like. No, but I would be, I would just be like greedy. And if my boyfriend was calling his bestie every night for hours, I'd be like, excuse me, sir. Can you spend a little more time with me? Thanks. But he did find some texts on her phone once. (gasps) Oh my God. That's another story. (laughs) 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 Okay. Another story for another episode. Yeah. Yeah. We can do a whole episode on dirty texts. We could. That's actually fun. But (laughs) anyway, and yeah, I was getting to the point too where I felt very lonely. I felt, yeah, confused. And I wasn't opening myself up to the idea that, oh, Persis, like you could meet other girls. Because like at that time, I was just forcing myself to go out with men. (laughs) And then I just didn't want any of it. So I was feeling like very, very low. And I called my sister one night when I was at the lowest point, just being like, I'm feeling like suicidal because- I'm just not happy and I can't shake that unhappy feeling off. And it's really scary when you get to that point because you feel numb. And I think that's for that whole year and a bit, actually probably, um, it was more the second semester of Humber. So maybe not the full year, but I was starting to feel better when we moved to Toronto actually. Yeah. Like the first year I moved in with you, I, I was at a much better place for sure. So what did your sister say when you called her? She talked me through it. I remember she was on the phone with me. She like stayed on the phone with me for like hours and yeah. was just like trying to get me to calm down and breathe because I was just crying. Um, did you, what, did it feel like a panic attack almost? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was, but it was also like this numb feeling. That was, or that was kind of like how you were feeling all the time. I was crying because I was like, I don't feel anything. Like I don't feel excitement. I don't feel, I could be with all my friends hanging out and I feel numb. Like, I'm just like, what's wrong with me? Yeah. It was bad. 
And how long would you say that you were having that feeling before you finally said something to Marsh? Was Marsh the first person that you said something to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how long do you think it was like a few months or longer than that? No, I think it was, I think it was like two months maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think I called Marsh. I remember in January it was really bad. It was like right after I came home from Whitby from the Christmas break. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, no, I'm not doing too well. And then I think it was like in March or something. Um, I think I called Marsh. She was sending me like a lot of like articles and like just things that could like that could, I could at least like refer to. I don't remember exactly like everything, but I, I do remember like going to my doctor to like talk to him because I wasn't sure Good. if I should be, like, put on medication or, or something. What did your doctor um, say? At the time I was on birth control. So he just suggested like, you know what, for starters, like what if you just like stop taking it? Cause your hormones could also just be like at an all time high and like elevated at this point. Right. Yeah. Um, and actually being off of it did help. Um, I did feel like my emotions were able to like kind of ease. It's when I came to terms with like my feelings and accepting that I was able to kind of like let go. Cause I was like holding everything in for so long. And then I was like, okay, this is how I feel. And truly, when I moved to Toronto, I think that's when I started to feel better because I finally was like in a city where I was seeing more queerness around me because I was at Humber College, like Rexdale. Mm. There wasn't much representation there. That's a good point. And we lived in a, we lived really close to the queer village and like there was a lot of gayness around us all the time. I mean, like with any big city, it's the best. There was so much. So I, that made me feel better and yeah, no, it, it's really when I started to kind of realize like there's other people out there. And I know it's almost making it seem like I just wanted to be with Alice and that's it. It's not that. It's that like when I realized I liked other women and then I was like slowly starting to be like, okay, Persis, this is you. And this is why you've been acting this way. And this is why you don't really relate to your friends on this and this. It just was like such a refresher. And I was like, okay, this feels nice. Yeah, yeah. Alice was just like your was basically like the catalyst. I know we love that word. The catalyst to you to you figuring that out. So that's why it was so big and like that's why it took over. But I have I have one more question. When you're going through the really tough months, like the few months before you called Marsh and then like I'm sure the months after that, like, you know, these things don't just go away. If you had to pick the one thing that kept you going, what do you think that was? Oh my God. Oh my God. That's a really good question. I know. Cause I feel like so often it's like something just inside of us that like keeps us going and it's hard to explain, but then mm-hmm. sometimes it's for some people, it's like my yoke, my everyday, my daily yoga class is what got me through. You know what I mean? I'm really, cause I, that, that period of time was like, I almost like blacked it out sometimes. Cause I'm like, it was so <laughs> totally no, yeah. I, I, cause there's certain Duh. moments I completely remember, which was calling Marsh. I remember going to Alice's house and like writing her a letter, but I don't think I said I liked her in the letter. I remember I went over Okay. And I wrote her like a long thing. And she was like, so she was really actually, when she knew I was going through a rough time, she was really good. Like, but I don't think yeah. I told her. I mean, she was your best friend. So yeah, but I, I definitely don't think I 
disclosed in the letter I liked her. She only found out I liked her like years later. On so this I don't podcast? Know what she said. <laughs> On this. When she listened to the pod. <laughs> On the pod. But I think what got me, kept me going was honestly probably just like my friends. Yeah. Truly, I feel um, at that time, I, I wasn't really speaking to my parents a lot about it. If anything, I think they were really worried about me around that time. So my relationship was kind of strained with them because I think they were just like finding it really hard to wrap their heads around what was going on with me, that I didn't open up to them too much. And I felt like they wouldn't understand or um, Mm -hmm. I didn't even know how to explain myself sometimes, right? Because once again, I think I was like sometimes embarrassed to maybe even like admit to my sister I think I'm really struggling because, like, I really, really like Alice, you know, because sometimes I can almost sound, like, weird when it comes out of your mouth, but she could probably have helped me see the bigger picture, maybe. Yeah, I, I think it makes perfect sense. I would have felt the exact same way, but it is, but it is the bigger picture. It wasn't just that you, it was not just that I like Alice. It was so much bigger than that. Like, it was yeah. so much bigger. And now you know that, and it took years to, like, figure that out but I would have I would have felt the exact same way I don't even know like I'm I don't even know if I would have called my sister it takes a lot of bravery to reach out you know I know I I did because I was literally googling like what to do when you have suicidal thoughts okay. and I think when I was like googling it because I was like I remember like sitting in my room like it was yeah. so late at night and I was like crying oh my god I was like surprised my parents didn't hear me no this was because I remember being in like my whippy bedroom and oh my god I was like I never cried like that before and I was like oh my god Persis like what do you I literally didn't know what to do I was googling it like what do you do like someone and of course all the resources it was like sending like therapy call this number like suicide hotline hotline number all this stuff. And I think that also overwhelmed me because I, then I was like, no, Persis, like maybe you're not, like maybe you just need to like breathe. Um, so I just called Marsh. Yeah. But, and, oh man. It's scary. And I like, this is getting really, really heavy. So we'll definitely put so many trigger trigger warnings Mm because it's even scary for me to actually openly talk about this, but maybe it is like important too, but there were many moments on that Christmas break when I was home where like I'd be driving and I was like, what if I just, you know, you know, mm-hmm. it's really scary to say, but I would think that a lot. But think it's important to say it out loud. Yeah. yeah. It's scary. And at the time you probably thought you were going crazy or something. I did. And you're so young and you don't know why this is happening. You don't have the clarity. It's not like something tragic happened to you and you're like, that's why I feel this way. You're just like completely unclear. And like, I can't even imagine how many other people have felt that and who are listening to this or not listening to this and have thought the exact same thing that you just said. I just think it's really important that you said it out loud. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that you called Marsh. Yeah. And that you like relied on your friends yeah, my friends were also really helpful. I specifically, I remember calling Kaylin. She would have been in England at that time. And she was like so, so good to talk to, very understanding. I, I, because that's the thing, I wasn't telling anyone like Alice. I think I was just saying like, I'm really confused. 
I don't, I don't even know if I admitted to many people it was like Alice or my sexuality. So I, I, I don't, yeah. I wish I could remember exactly what I said, but I don't. But I mean, it was a long time ago too. Like, yeah, you probably suppressed a lot of it. And also it was almost 10 years ago. So like, and you've come so far, you've come so far and you still have so far to go. Like all of us do. We'll never stop growing. But like, I do, I do think it's like really important for you to acknowledge how, how far you've come and how much work you've done to get here because that is, that shit is not easy and you could have given up. You could have, you could have like, you could have not reached out for help. You could have gone years more without like acknowledging what this thing was and why it was happening. Yeah. Oh but yeah. You were like brave enough to to try and figure it out. And totally. that involved coming out. That that involved like so many other things, like a domino effect. And you were brave enough to like take that first step and acknowledge it. Because with that, and I think this kind of comes back into our conversation with like how when you're not doing well physically as well, that can also affect your mental health. Yeah. I was drinking a lot and I felt mm. like every time I was drinking, I was crying. Mm. Oh my gosh. I had many moments where like, oh, I wasn't no. crying in front of people, but like I would after a night out at Humber or something, I would yeah. like go to my bedroom and be like, oh, I'm sad. Now I'm sad. Like yeah. all of that was coming out later. And I totally was using drinking as like a bit of a coping mechanism, right? For, for sure. that time. For sure. And you probably weren't eating great either because <laughs> it's college no. and, you have your, and you have your meal card and you're eating like chicken burgers at the calf every day. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, I was not. I wasn't being very health conscious at all. So <laughs> on top of that, I was like not motivated. But yeah, totally. no, I knew- there, there had to be a time where I was like, okay, this is not you. And I definitely- But that came from you. Like that takes, that, like you did that. Like, yeah. yes, you had support and you have so many people who loved you and helped you through it. But like, that was you. That was all you. You made the decision to like figure out this isn't me. And mm-hmm. not only do I need to keep moving forward, but I need to move forward in a better, more, in a, in a better way, like a healthier way. And now look where you are. You're co-hosting a podcast about how queer and proud you are. Yeah, that's true. And it's listen, like, who would have my thought? girl, she still has her sad days, okay? Persis still gets sad. She still calls me. But like, you are the reason that you're sitting where you are today. And I just like hope you acknowledge that. Thank you. No, it's true. It's like 18-year-old me wouldn't have thought that I would have the confidence to be like speaking out about queerness like so publicly and also my own experiences because that can be really scary as well to be like this happened to me you're being vulnerable but I think um Mm -hmm. vulnerability goes a long way that we obviously we know that I'm so grateful that you shared all of that and I love you so much I love you so much and I'm so sorry you went through that it makes me literally want to cry I'm tearing up but I love you and and you're so strong I'm gonna cry Oh, Sarah. It's just like too much to think of little persons going through that. But yeah. I love you so much. I know. I love you too. And I'm so happy that you found your way here. Me too. And you know what? I had to go through that too. You know what? And like yeah. I needed, I think, to go to like the lowest of the lows to get to where I am now and to be really grateful. Yeah. I think now I sit here and I'm like, I am so grateful to mm-hmm. be me and be who I am and love who I love and have my friends, have my family who are so supportive. It, it was just, it was just a mo. It was like a moment, but a very important moment for me. Totally. Okay, Purse. So for anyone who's listening and they're like, I'm on the struggle bus and I need some help. 
what are some resources? What's some advice? What can we all do to take care of ourselves and our little brains and our little hearts? Yeah. Oh, our little hearts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like there are so many options out there for us, but as we were looking into this, specifically for queer people and for queer youth. I think queer youth is so important, especially. Uh, But therapy. I think therapy is key. And I'm actually speaking from someone who's never, ever done therapy before, and I need to do it. Well, yeah, you want to do it, right? Yeah, I want to. And you've been kind of looking around and seeing Mm -hmm. if there's someone available who you can speak with. But what's the problem that you're running into? Well, first and foremost, I feel like I, like most of the people who I have been like reaching out to have been busy or they're booked up. And it is so damn expensive. Yes. So I feel like when people who haven't done therapy before feel like they want therapy, there's just this huge roadblock. Like not only is it so hard to find a therapist who's available, but it's so expensive. And if you don't have benefits that cover it, or if you, if you don't have just don't have the funds, it can be really hard. So here are some options if you're in that camp. And if you just want, if you want like an easier access to therapy, there are a lot of different apps and companies out there like BetterHelp. And I feel like a lot of you guys have probably heard of BetterHelp. It's, it's getting pretty popular, but there's a lot of companies like it. If you, if you don't have BetterHelp in your country or if for some reason that app doesn't work for you, but it's just a way to have like more direct access to therapists and lower prices as well. So it's just, it's basically just like taking out some of the middleman stuff that can happen sometimes when you're looking for a therapist. And it helps you find therapists who are actually really suited to your exact needs as well, um, because they're such a big database and the the prices are, are more affordable. So that's a really great option. If you're like, I really want to talk to someone, I think that's, I like that you can kind of customize it too, to a therapist who would be best suited for you. Because then you can also go into, you can probably look out for an LGBTQ therapist too. Exactly. And I know that on apps like BetterHelp, they have that specifically like, it's almost like online dating. You like scroll through and you're like, okay, that I want someone who either is queer or specializes in queer mental health or whatever. If you'd rather speak to a man over a woman or a woman over a man, or someone who identifies as non-binary. Another one that's close to my heart is look for psychotherapy schools in your area and see if they have a therapist and training program because that's how I got my therapist. And I'm so happy that I did because I've been working with her for almost a year. It's going to be our like year anniversary in November. Oh, wow. And I know it's crazy. Like it definitely doesn't feel that long. And we have worked through some crazy shit together and reached some major milestones. And she, she basically coached me through an entire like life-changing shift and I found her through a therapist and training program the reason why this is a great option for a lot of people is their prices are incredibly reduced because they're not certified therapists yet they're they have done all their training and now they have to do a certain number of hours with real patients in order to kind of get that final basically graduate and become a, a licensed psychotherapist so Guys, I'm going to be full transparency with you. My sessions with her are $40 an hour. That's amazing. $40 an hour. And it's such a, it's such a great energy exchange because I'm 
paying an affordable rate to have therapy every single week as opposed to like I can only afford therapy once every few months or something like that. And she's getting all of this incredible experience, all of the hours she needs to reach her um, graduation, her licensing, and she's incredible. And she's a mom. She's in her 40s. So it's not like she's a young I mean, if, you, if you're worried about someone who's, like, younger and maybe inexperienced or something, like, there's all sorts of different therapists and programs like that. So, anyway, that's really close to my heart because I'm so grateful for her. And it's so affordable. And anyone who's looked for a therapist knows that sessions can sometimes be $300 an hour. Wow. That is yeah. so tough. Yeah. Like, how could you do that weekly? Like, you would have to do that. That would be, like, a treat if you didn't get any coverage for that at all. Totally. You'd have to break the bank just to, like – take care of your mental health and you know that's not fair no that's something i'm gonna look into i should look into uh, psychotherapists and training well i can give you the same program that i did it through you just apply and then they basically basically set you up with a therapist if it doesn't work out it doesn't work out but for me it really worked out okay cool you can send that to me i like this one too because i feel like this is also this this can be difficult i know when it comes to people who you know. I think that's why a lot of people like seeking out therapy too, because you get that objective perspective. But another option that we did throw in there is confiding in your friends and family that you trust. Um, just make sure you feel really safe in whatever environment you're in and mm-hmm. that you feel safe telling those those people because sometimes you never know how people are going to react. But um, odds are, if you are confiding in someone, you're, you are probably already trust them enough to listen yeah. to you. I can't count how many times my friends and I, including you and I, have like had a chat and then afterwards been like, okay, that was the therapy I needed. Mm-hmm. I feel like yeah. sometimes that's that's the best therapy, people you know and love. Yeah. And who can just listen? Sometimes you just need someone to like listen to you. <sighs> yeah, totally. Totally. And just ask questions. I think that's really helpful. That's honestly like 90% of what my therapist does. She just asks me questions. Yeah you know, like, and that make me expand my thinking and she's listening and then she listens. <laughs> and, and my friends do the same. Yeah. Um, another good option if you're struggling with your mental health, you don't know where to go, where to turn. There's a lot of great hotlines, lifelines, um, helplines out there. And I know it might seem a little, I feel like you even said this person when you were telling your story and you were um, you were Googling like what to do. I'm, I'm in distress. And then there were all these hotlines that came up, but you felt more safe and comfortable to call someone you knew and loved, which was your sister, Marsh. And I, and I think that can happen to a lot of people. Like it almost feels scarier to call a hotline or a helpline because it's maybe feels more like real that you're reaching out for help or that you're admitting, really admitting you need help. But if you don't have someone in your life who you can call or you don't have anyone you feel comfortable talking to, I think hotlines are such a great option because these people on the other end of the phone are trained to talk to you about the specific issues that you're calling about. And you also can do it totally, like they'll never see your face. Like you're just in the privacy of your own maybe bedroom or your own, maybe you're out outside for a walk or whatever. But when you call, like it can just be something that's just you and this person and if you don't have any other options, there are so many great, great ones. Look for the one specific in your area. I feel like, just like you said, if you, they come up pretty quickly on Google because um, it's such an important resource to have. So 
if you're like, I'm struggling, just Google hotline near me for your specific issue and see what comes up and just go for it. Try and give them a call. When it comes to that, you you just got to do it. Because like Sarah said, these people are also trained. Yeah, they know what's up. Mm-hmm. And then other great resources are community organizations. Y'all, see what's up in your area. There are so many good ones in Toronto that we've done. We've shouted them out before on the pod, like Casey House. Yep. There's CAMH, initiatives and organizations in your community that offer not just like, not even just counseling, therapy, healthcare, but also like exercise and wellness initiatives. Like I feel so much, my mental health gets completely balanced when I go and work out. And I know, yeah. Chris, you feel the same way. When you go on one of your nice long walks, it's like that's your therapy sometimes. Yeah. And so look for even like queer groups in general. There, there are so, so many things like lurking out there in your community that you have no idea about until you just like look for them. Oh, yeah. I think it would have been so beneficial for me at that time, especially when I was um, in my later teens, to actually be in an LGBTQ group where we could all talk about our experiences and our feelings or I don't know. It definitely would have made me feel less alone at the time, for sure. Yeah. And I think you can find those those groups online, too. And we've talked about this a bajillion times, but social media is a great place to like find community if you're struggling reach out to reach out to you know join facebook groups that feel safe that have um that are like in your wheelhouse of like what however you identify or you know what i mean like don't be afraid to get out there on the internet and just see what see what's happening but make sure you feel safe there and comfortable because sometimes the internet can skew to a whole other scary place Totally. Yeah. Just use your discretion. That's for sure. But um, it's a great way to connect with people, to connect with friends. Like I've said this before, but I've made friends literally through the internet. Totally. And you can talk to them when you're struggling with like, when you're struggling specifically with something that, that is about you being queer, you can talk to them and, and they understand exactly what you're talking about. Exactly. I feel like we're like two moms, like telling our kids. That's what it feels like. Aw, yeah. it kind of does feel like that. Listen, guys, this is this is a heavy topic, and it's hard to talk about, especially when, especially because we all have been there, like in whatever mm-hmm. capacity it is. But that's also the beautiful part of it. It's a shared experience, and I think that it's you just you can't not talk about it just because it's hard to talk about. Sometimes you gotta just be vulnerable and put it out there. Yep. I think that's like the best advice anyone can ever give is just like, you got to talk it out. Yeah. Because no matter what, if you continue to repress, it's going to come out later. Like you might be able to keep like, I don't know, wear a mask for a little bit. I know when I try to pretend I'm okay, it's never good. I need to like feel things or I need to just like feel the emotions. Yeah. But that's what I love about you. Like you never, you're, you're so authentic because you can never put on a front. No, I can't. Like you can't, and you can, you try, but people who are close to you know when you're just like not doing good. Yeah. Or even, not even not doing good, but maybe just something's bugging you or something's on your mind. And you're like, you just, you are just really true. Like you listen to yourself and you're true to whatever you're feeling. And that's a skill that I think we all are working on getting better at. I think you're getting better at it. Cause I feel like I'd always yeah, I know. So. 
you were kind of more of someone who could like shelve things away. Yeah, I was really good at I'm still pretty good at that, but I think I'm getting better. I'm getting better yeah. at being like, mm, it's just not it. Not it today yeah. or whatever it is. Agreed. And that's good. That's healthy. That's actually completely healthy. And I'm so proud of you for being so vulnerable in this episode. You're vulnerable in every episode, but this one was particularly so. And it made oh. me it made me really sad and really happy all at the same time. I'm not going to lie. I was a little nervous to talk about that. Yeah, of course. But that was such an important point in your journey. I just wish I could have been there. Like we weren't we weren't close yet. We had met, but we weren't really like we weren't besties. But if I'm being honest, none of my college friends knew. Like I wasn't telling anybody. I really think yeah. at that time the only p- people who really knew were my mom and dad and like later when I told them my sister and then Kaylin I don't even think I told like my high school friends Uh, and then Alice but like I said it was a little bit like glossed over I think I just said like oh I'm just you know feeling sad I don't know why Mm -hmm. but it's wild it's a scary feeling sometimes too and I feel like a lot of queer people can relate to this is when maybe you feel like you're never going to find something or you're never going to like find love or you're never going to feel happy or that happiness that everyone else does. And it's like either through because of society's pressures that you think like, okay, this is just going to be me and I'm going to live life alone. Or for me, I was just like, am I ever going to like, like anyone in the way I like this particular girl because I'm not liking anybody and it's, it's Mm -hmm. freaking me out. Yeah. Yeah. But something that you've learned about yourself along the way is that you are such a romantic and you, you do feel like fall so hard that that has been kind of the case. Like if you fall for a girl, you really fall for her and you don't, you don't really like get over her her until you have eyes for someone else or you just, you fall for somebody else. And that's just like your journey. But it's the story of my book. (laughs) Story of my life. That's literally the story of your book. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, that's the story say, of your life. It's the title. It's the title of my book. Like, that's eyes the title of your memoir. <laughs> eyes. Hard on your sleeve is the title of your memoir. But think about 18-year-old purse going through it. Think think about if she like awoke from a dream and 26-year-old purse like a vision of 26-year-old purse like came like floating into her into her dorm room and was like, "Hey purse, guess what?" In eight years, you are going to have this feeling like you're never going to like anyone ever again. You're going to have had that feeling like five different times (laughs) for five different girls. (laughs) It's like, yeah, this feeling sucks. You're probably going to feel it again, but you're going to feel it for different women because you're going to fall for other women. And there's so many. And you would have been like, you know, get out of my room. 26-year-old purse would have told 18-year-old purse, and you know what? It's okay to be gay. Like, you you are going to figure this out, and you're going to come out, and you're going to be happy about it. Because like I said, I was also scared of the word – I don't don't think it was gay specifically I was scared of. I was scared of lesbian. Like, the word lesbian scared me so much Mm -hmm. at 18. Yeah. If you guys want to learn more about that, listen to our episode about internalized homophobia. That's a great episode. 
It is a great episode. Let's give, it's a great let's give episode. ourselves props. I just love, I just think it's such an interesting topic. Also, if you're feeling like your mental health is struggling or you want some community, listen to podcasts. There's so many good queer podcasts out there. Not even plugging our own because you're already listening to it. If you got it this far, if you got it this far, you're probably like a listener. That's why I'm kind of grateful for like the time we live in right now. As much as it can be a little toxic sometimes, like the yeah, amount of social sure. media we consume and the internet, we mm. always, there always seems to be like resources out there, whether it is through books or movies or podcasts or music totally. even like. We have so yeah. many outlets. We do. Yeah. I'm so grateful for that. Well, I'm grateful for you. And <sighs> I'm grateful I hope, for you too. And I know you've been taking care of yourself a lot lately. And I just want to say I'm so proud of you. Thank you. Thanks. I'm going to keep doing it. Good. You guys Good. want to yes. take care of yourselves too? Come along with us. It's a journey. It's a journey. It's a it's a it's a it's a journey 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 home it's a journey oh home that's so beautiful the journey home i think you should play the journey home on as our little outro into in case you missed it i totally will okay i'm not gonna say anything else yeah guys just like listen to the soothing sounds of journey home okay here you go journey home Okay, Persis, this in case you missed it, I'm a little worried that my neighbors are going to come a knocking because we might start yelling, but I'm going to try not to yell because I already feel like sometimes I talk too loud in this podcast. Guys, let me know if you if I'm like too loud sometimes. I feel like it's kind of annoying. Sometimes when we have guests, I feel like I get really excited and I start like screaming. So I just got to calm down. Because we have amazing guests. So we how do. do we not get excited? I know it's so worth the scream, but this one is worth the scream in like a different way. Because guys, guys, we are recording this on October 28th. Um, by the time you guys hear it, um, you'll probably have have seen this news. Because I think it's probably going to circulate even more. Italy. Oh, man. Okay, here we go. Italy's Senate. Basically, there was a bill proposed that would make violence against queer people and disabled people. Oh, my God. A crime. As well as misogyny. Yeah. So... So this bill, if it was passed, would have made violence against queer people, disabled people, and women a hate crime across the whole country. The Senate had 315 members, and they voted on Wednesday, October 27th, to block the debate on the law so that essentially this bill couldn't be passed. And the voting difference, it was voted by 154 to 131. So it was close. Mm -hmm. The worst part <clears throat> to an already horrible thing that we just said to you guys is what happened after the vote was called. Yeah. There are videos circulating, so you guys can look it up, of pretty much the entire Senate room, mostly men, standing up and cheering, clapping their hands, cheering, whooping, because 
the decision was to not pass a bill that would make violence against queer, disabled people and women a crime, a hate crime across the country. I just don't understand. Who is standing up and cheering for that? Like, it's almost like they were like, thank God. I was like, what? You can still have violence against queer people and disabled people? I know. I don't get it. women? I don't get it. Girl, I saw that. So first I saw the video come up and it was all these people cheering. And I read the caption wrong. Well, I saw the cheering. So I was like, oh, something good happened. And through the caption, my first thought was like, oh, they passed like a good bill for the queer community. And then I stopped for a second and actually read the caption like properly. And I couldn't even like it took me a second to like reconcile the video footage with what with what the information was, because I was like, these two things like don't I don't understand. They don't match up. It doesn't make sense. And like where in Italy was this? Hmm, good question. I don't know. What's like the, would it be in the capital of Italy? I, is that Rome? Guys. I'm just wondering because <laughs> it's like. Italian listeners, help us out here. Because I'm just thinking too, like, because there's all this stuff saying like Catholic groups debate over the approval of the bill, which would lead to people convicted of such crimes being jailed for up to four years and permit an increase in funding for groups that work to fight against discrimination and assist people who are the victims of it. Came after a series of high-profile attacks against gay and transgender people. Mm-hmm. So basically, this bill was trying to be passed, like because it should, but also because in response to all these hate crimes that were happening across the country. And this bill would have increased if it passed. It would have increased funding to organizations that are helping victims. It's not. It's not just about. It's not just about putting the bad guys in jail. It's about like this actually would have helped all of the groups we were talking about, queer people, disabled people, and women. Oh my gosh. The M5S leader and former prime minister, Giuseppe Conte, said, those who are rejoicing at the sabotage should explain it to the country. They wanted to stop the future. They wanted to bring Italy back in history, said the former prime minister and current PD leader, Enrico Letta. So it seems like, it seems like leaders in Italy are are angry about this decision. But I don't know. Honestly, the tough part about this, in case you missed it, is I don't know anything about Italian politics. Literally nothing. This is probably the first thing that I've I've read about Italian politics, maybe ever. So I don't know what's going on over there. I don't know what the parties are like. Clearly, clearly there is some, uh, some misjudgment happening. I'm going to say it nicely. But yeah, I guess I... I don't know what's going to happen from here. I wonder if there will be enough of a pushback from Italian people, but people all over the world um, to maybe change this or to maybe put forward more bills or another bill. But I mean, I hope so. I feel like it's scary if this is the reality for Italy. I'm just, I'm just concerned about queer people, queer Italians. Like Mm -hmm. it's one thing to face, to face potential violence for your sexuality it's another thing to know that your country doesn't stand behind you if you are a victim of that violence. Yeah. And that's the and thing, it, like, who do you have then? If anything happens to you, you know, you, you can't go to anybody. It's not going to be seen as a hate crime. Well, it, well, I'm sure that there's a lot of organizations that, are, that they could go to, that victims could go to, but, like, it, it's not – there's nothing that can be done about it. You know what I mean? Like, the person's not going to go to jail – the person 
like, I mean, depending on what the crime is, of course. But, like, it's really scary. It seems like, from what I've, like, read about this specific incident, it definitely seems like there is, like, a right and a left in Italy. It's very similar to, obviously, what's going on in, in the States. Um, and that the left ten- is tending to be, like, too liberal and too inflexible. But then, like, the right is far too conservative. And it seems like the right is the side that won over in this particular incidents but they're honestly, full of conservative full of conservative catholics is the right side oof. honestly it's the cheering for me it's the cheering that is is honestly sickening and scary they're cheering for violence against queer people disabled people and women they're cheering for that it's like it doesn't even feel like we're in the same world i know it's you like know? it's like i'm watching a movie yeah like a like a dystopian future i mean we still see stuff like all the time but not like to that level of people like cheering on violence is like what yeah this is not a fun in case you missed it at all if anyone if anyone listening knows more about the situation is italian lives in italy or has some insights or just wants to talk about about this and how it might be affecting them our dms are always open as you guys know I feel like this is an unfolding situation. I really think like the world is going to respond to this so strongly that like hopefully at least a new bill is is presented to the Senate in the future. Like I don't think I can't see queer Italians are just going to give up because of this. No, like it's going to be a major setback and it's going to be a lot of fear, but if we know anything is that the queer movement has moved very fast in a short amount of time and it's going to continue doing that it's just going to take a little longer in some countries with this type of honestly religion and hate Mm -hmm. not for it and that's the thing it's what it usually comes down to it always comes down to that right it's like that's the moment i saw like very conservative catholics i was like that's why they're cheering yeah. And so I was like, where is this happening? Like, where in Italy is this? But I do feel like I in Italy, has a really sh- they have a really strong, um, yeah, I think in Rome, they do have a really strong, like, conservative crew. Oh, for sure. I think it's, I think it's across Italy. Well, Rome is also where, like, the, pro- like, the big pride parade happens in Italy as well. Because it's like any city around the world, it, that's where, like, there's a, a prominent queer community. But as far as I know, Italy is very like quite a religious population yeah but y'all get on board listen to our episode with shannon burns about being queer and christian immediately if any um senator italian senators are listening (laughs) who voted against that bill take a listen to our episode with shannon burns okay she'll tell you about her god and how her god loves all all of her lesbian life but yeah if anyone's struggling with this holler at us and we know this was a heavy episode if you made it all the way to this point um (laughs) great job we love you person i literally had to take a break during this episode so that i could go do some yoga and she could go like chill out and listen to some nice music so if you needed to take a break or you want to take a break now we highly recommend yes yes and honestly take care of yourselves like most importantly, take care of your mental health. Don't avoid 
your, your feelings because your feelings are valid. And I made the mistake of thinking they weren't and thinking people would make fun of me or that they wouldn't take me seriously. If, you know, even as I was talking about this now, I kept, I caught myself even like thinking, oh, Persis, like, why would you feel that way? You know, I, I notice I do that sometimes, mm-hmm. but I shouldn't do that. And I'm learning to do that too, because that's how I felt at the time. It was really dark and sad. And for whatever reason it was like, it's okay. It was, I felt that way for a reason. Yeah. And it's a Can't process. Explain it sometimes it's a process. <clears throat> yeah. Sometimes, I mean, most of the time it's hard to explain and it's totally okay that you still question yourself sometimes because we all do, but that is very well said, my friend, your feelings, your mental state, it's all valid, y'all. It's all valid. And it's and beautiful. It is beautiful. And one thing I actually really wanted to say too is that your mental health matters more than your work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think oh some people God. just need just to know that Just tattoo that on my body. Tattoo that on my body. Yeah, just because life gets so busy. We're so go, go, go. Like, I mean, Toronto is such a hustler city. I just notice I get really wrapped up sometimes in like the busyness of everything. And sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, Persis, like, take care of yourself, girl. Like, don't, I get overwhelmed easily. I've noticed that about myself. Yeah. And as long as you notice these things about yourself, that's, that's what's important. But like, I could not have said it better myself. Your mental health comes before your work. It comes before your social obligations. Like, put, it always comes first no matter what. So you have to remember that. You have to put it first. Because life's too short to be miserable or anxious when you could be doing something to take care of yourself and be happy. Or at least something that, that brings you good feelings. Yes. Amen to that, sister. Amen. And to wrap this up, everyone, thank you so much for listening to this. We really do hope this helps and these resources help if you need it. But once again, you guys know um, our DMs are always open. So if you do need anyone to talk to, Sarah and I got you. <laughs>